Well, hello, Akibamis. Oh, hello, Stevie Mans. How goes it? All the better for seeing you yesterday. Likewise, it was a pleasure to watch the episode yesterday in your beautiful home as I already begin to flop sweat here in my tiny <laughs> Brooklyn apartment. It's only been four seconds since we turned the fan off. Aki joined me at my humble abode to watch Star Trek in surround sound. Yes, truly a different experience than watching on one's laptop with headphones in. Some would say scary. <laughs> no more tinny audio for you. No. Lots of booms, bangs, explosions <laughs> happening. And directional stuff, too, mm. which is pretty, pretty exceptional. It's my favorite, watching my dogs try and figure out where sound is coming from. Is someone at the door or is it just the TV? Who knows? Who can say? Well, welcome to you, dear listener, to Set Phasers, a highly logical Star Trek podcast with we, your hosts. <laughs> my... With we, that sounds with we, with we, your host Stevie Mans, and uh, I, Aki Vermees. Well, Aki, we are here to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, episode six, Lost in Translation. Shall we start the show? Yeah, start the show already. Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. The show is started. Hey, what's up? It's started 426715.4. And we're talking about, yes, episode six, entitled Lost in Translation. Asian, Asian. And a pretty fun episode. Always love a little linguistics style episode. This didn't get like super crunchy linguistics, but it had a cool aha moment in it and some wonderful interpersonal stuff. So I think all in all, a nice solid episode. Not too much shenanigans, alas. Sadly, but... There's more shenanigans. I think next episode. I believe. Oh, it's to you. You're wiggling your eyebrows like you know something. Am I? Am I? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, next episode is the crossover with Lower Decks. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. Holy moly. I thought that would be the last of the, of the season. Well, this is a nice, fun thing to know. And you know I hate spoilers, but that was a nice spoiler. That was a oh, rare... Yeah fun spoiler that makes me look forward to next week okay well let's run this thing down it's time to run it down can you run it down for me what just happened can you run it down for me okay dig it the enterprise is at bannon's nebula the USS Farragut is there, and it's a, ne- it's a nebula that's like a gas cloud that's full of, like, gas deuterium. And so Starfleet has been trying to build this deuterium refinery that sucks in the gas, takes out the deuterium, and it makes basically starship fuel. And uh, they've been having some trouble getting it together, so they send in Starfleet's finest. And Pike has made the fleet commander of the Enterprise Farragut. 
and the refinery to get these things together. So Pike is on deck on the bridge pontificating and Uhura is spacing out as he's talking and he realizes it and she says, look, I haven't gotten much sleep recently. And he's like, hey, thanks for organizing everything, but don't burn the candle at both ends. And she's like, sure enough. But then she receives a message from the folks on the refinery saying that they're ready for the enterprise to send their science stuff over, their engineering stuff. Una comes onto the bridge, congratulates Pike for his promotion and says, I hope I didn't miss the speech. And he was like, well, I was just doing it. But Uhura fell asleep. Spock notes that uh, as well as the nebula being a, a few, possibly a future depot for Starfleet ships to refuel, it's also right on the, the edge of Gorn space. And so perhaps that is the reason for the mission as well. Spock also knows that the Enterprise could collect some deuterium of its own in its uh, ship, so Pike tells Ortegas to, hey, go find some deuterium in that cloud and do some laps. And as they're doing that, Uhura gets a strange kind of signal, and she tries to share it with the rest of the crew, but it's not in the logs. It's nowhere in the logs. And so it's like, did she hear it? Was it recorded? And so she decides she's going to do a full diagnosis of the communication system, even though she's super-duper tired. So she goes down to the nacelle to do repairs that she learned from Hemmer. She has a video, an instructional video that helps her reboot the whole comms system. That's when the new chief engineer, Pelia, comes over and questions her and says, hey, you don't ever talk to me. You never say hello and you didn't welcome me on the ship. And Hora's like, hey, welcome to the Enterprise. Sorry, I've just been so busy. And then Pelia's like, no, it's probably because of Hemmer. And she's like, yeah. <sighs> and then Pelia's like, oh, Hemmer, he was one of my best students. Actually, I'm only saying that because he's dead. He was just fine. And they have that moment. Then Uhura returns to work. Meanwhile, Pike sends Una down to the refinery because he, Starfleet believes she's the one that can whip this thing into shape and get this thing finally off the ground. She's happy to clean up other people's messes. Uhura, after doing whatever she had to do in the nacelles, gets into the turbo lift, turns around, and see, here's that crazy signal again. And sees a zombie hammer in the turbo lift with her that snarls and lurches for her. Then we go to the credits, obviously. In sickbay, Uhura's there to be like, hey, what happened? And Benga's like, I think you have some slight deuterium poisoning, uh, which can cause basically hallucinations. And also he sees that she hasn't been getting a lot of sleep recently, which can apparently make deuterium poisoning even worse. So he orders her to rest before she can turn return to work. And that's the thing that a doctor on a on a Starfleet ship can do. Pull rank above even the captain if they have to. Uhura remains worried that it's something more, but she follows orders. On the refinery, Una and Pella are locking horns. They're not really getting along. And Pella, Pelia is saying that, oh, something feels wrong. I feel it in my bones, an intuition. I got to feel it. it smells bad. And Una's like, I don't usually depend on my smell to know when things are wrong with machines. So get back to work and don't do anything without telling me. And Pelly is like, yeah, sure, boss, sure, sure. Meanwhile, Uhura, who's been resting, wakes from her sleep and stands up and finds that she's not in her cabin anymore. She appears to be out of doors in a beautiful forest by, I think, a lake. Uh, and turns around, there's a plume of smoke rising from the woods and some sort of distressing situation. And then huh, she wakes again for real. Now, this is when the surround sound really started to freak me out because now it's like, OK, it's going to be jump scares and things like that. But did Stevie care? No. Stevie turned the sound up louder. You did. And I am still jumpy about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, yes, I know. Meanwhile, James T. Kirk beams aboard from the Farragut, as we may remember from the, the future jump of last season and also the, the past 
password jump of earlier in the season with La'an, Kirk is still serving on the USS Farragut. He's recently been promoted to first officer. He beams aboard the Enterprise to chat with his brother, Sam. And Sam's like, hey, do you want a tour? And Kirk says, yeah, as long as it ends in the bar. They go to the bar. They're trying to have brother time, but there's a little bit of resentment there from Sam, who feels like their father, George, thinks of the younger, Jim, as being more of the Starfleet officer to be proud of. Sam is a xenoanthropologist, a science head, a little blue shirt. And meanwhile, Kirk is now the youngest ever first officer in Starfleet history, breaking the record of, guess who? George Kirk. So things don't go too well between the brothers and Sam winds up storming out. And that's when Uhura shows up. Actually, she interrupts Spock and Chapel, who have a little, a brief little drama as they're playing three-sided chess and deciding whether or not to, I guess, declare officially with HR, with Starfleet HR, with SFHR. I believe that's what it's got to be called about their relationship, disclosing their uh, kissy kissy, basically. And uh, well, Spock's like, should we do it? And Chapel's like, well, maybe it's a bit early. She references Schrodinger's cat in the sense that to to try and look at the cat is to maybe make it take a state that one doesn't know. Whereas if you don't look at it, it could be both living and dead, which is the Schrodinger's cat thing. And Spock's sort of, okay, I guess that works. So you're saying, don't tell people so we don't have to figure out what this is. And Anyway, Uhura shows up and she's like, hey, just want to let you know, even though I have doctor's orders and I'm supposed to rest and even Chapel's like, you're supposed to be resting. She's like, I don't think it's deuterium poisoning because I heard the first signal before I went to the nacelle, before I could have gotten deuterium poisoning. So what do you say about that? Isn't it logical? Uh, and Spock's like, that is logical. But then Chapel's like, you really should just go get rest. And she's like, the last thing I want is rest. And then she heads over to the bar and she gets a brandy and that's when she meets Kirk, whose brother is just stormed out. Kirk and Uhura meet for the first time. She thinks he's hitting on her. Uh, he might be. This is Kirk, after all. Two birds, one stone, right? He's like, you need help, but also, hey, foxy lady. Kissy, kissy. Oh, yeah, that's I right. Do like that, that. Well, in the offing. <laughs> that drop is really worth it. <laughs> he says, maybe she needs a friend. And she says, the last thing I need is friends. And she storms out with her taking only a sip of her brandy, which I found personally frustrating. But once she reaches the corridor, the lights are out and flickering and there's bloodied people everywhere. And she turns around and there's herself with a menacing face and she has to fight herself in this darkened corridor. And they exchange a few things and then she finally gets a hit off on herself only to find out that she was once again hallucinating. And she hit none other than James T. Kirk in the nose and his nose is all bloody and messed up. And he's like, I told you I wasn't trying to hit on you. And she's like, oops. So she, instead of going to sickbay and having to fill out all the paperwork for hitting a superior officer... Kirk's like, why don't we just go back to your place, but not in the kissy-kissy way. And she's like, I've got a one of those skin healer dealies. So she fixes his nose, and Kirk's like, hey, everyone else may think that you're just suffering from exhaustion, but I believe you that maybe there's something else going on here. And he says, can I, he asks if he can take her medical records to his chief medical officer on the Farragut. She says, okay. He says, I'll be right back, and don't punch anyone while I'm gone. Meanwhile, on the refinery, Una and Pelia continue to lock horns or lock heads. I don't know. They're at loggerheads. That's what I want to say. And Pelia has disregarded sort of the spirit of Una's orders. But in so doing, she discovers that there is dun-dun-dun sabotage. 
Yes. So they go searching in the refinery to find this saboteur, and they do find Lieutenant Saul Ramon. He is definitely hallucinating. He's saying, it's not real, it's not real. He's huddled up in a ball. He does briefly have a lucid moment with Una, but she asks him why he has been sabotaging the station. He says, sabotage, it's not real, none of this is real, none of this is real. So Una reports in the medical emergency. Uhura, meanwhile, has her third vision. She's sitting alone in her room. And then the red alert klaxons go off. So she gets up, goes out of her room, and walks directly onto the bridge. What kind of dream logic is this? Where Pike says they're under attack. And she goes over to her station. And she looks out at the view screen. And it cracks. And it explodes. The view screen only cracks and explodes in weird dreams that people have about Starfleet. It almost never happens in real life. Except in the last season of Picard, right? Didn't they break open the... Yeah, because they all got into the force field in order to get rid of... Oh, yes. Amanda Plummer. <laughs> I can't remember her character's name. Val. Not Val. Val? Please no. hold. I think it is Val. Vadic. Oh, it's Vadic. Never mind. Anyway, that happened in Picard. That's neither here nor there. Point is... That turns out to be a dream as well, but Uhura wakes up and she's sitting at her station. Everyone's like, hey, aren't you supposed to be resting? And that's when Pike finally is like, mm, let's you and I have a little talk uh, together. And he's like, Uhura, what's going on? And she's like, I can't really explain it. It's just a weird feeling. And he's like, I got to know. I'm trying to help you not only as your captain, but as your friend. And as they're having that conversation, Kirk shows up once again. He congratulates Pike on becoming fleet uh, captain and then says, I was looking for Uhura because he has uh, reports of Lieutenant Saul Ramon having had weird, being acting weird as if he had uh, hallucinations the day before by friends on the Farragut. So they all rush down to sickbay where Ramon is and he's unresponsive to questions because Mbanga says he has significant damage to his speech and language centers of the brain. Then both Ramon and Uhura hear the <laughs> sound. And Ramon freaks out, grabs a, a medical tool, slashes Mbanga, and runs off. They everyone makes sure Mbanga's okay. Then Pike takes a security person and goes after him. And everyone, they go after him in two teams. Pike and his security person find an injured crew member outside of Astrometrics. And then Laon catches up. The lights are out. And Laon says that Ramon must have cut the power to this part of engineering. So they have the non named crew person stay with the other injured crew person and they go off in the hunt meanwhile kirk and ahura are also looking for ramon but ahura has another vision of the walls kind of closing in on her and she decides you know what probably not a good idea for me to be out here i'm gonna head back to sick bay alone kirk you go on laon and pike then meet up with kirk we know from episode two three laon and kirk have history that Kirk knows nothing about. Also, it's history in a different timeline. They have history. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. But they continue to search. Meanwhile, Uhura, on her way back, uh, still with a phaser, finds a blood stain near the entry to the nacelles. She calls it in, but she heads in instead of uh, waiting for backup to arrive. And she finds Ramon at the console. She attempts to reason with him to prove that she is not a hallucination, whatever he may be seeing around her. But he almost seems to come over to her side, but then freaks out and does his own thing. So she has to try and stop him. They fight each other. She gets disarmed. He pushes her away. She falls into Kirk's arms as he hits a button. Kirk does an emergency transport. The nacelle fuel pod area explodes, and Ramon is jettisoned out into space, dying. So we get back to sickbay. Two people are dead, Ramon and the officer they found injured on the floor. Mbenga's in surgery. 
And there's still a lot of things going on. Uhura wants to be confined to quarters. Pike doesn't think it's going to be that bad. He says that Starfleet's given permission to look at Lieutenant Ramon's personal logs. Maybe there's something that can help Uhura. Meanwhile, Laan and Kirk have a brief conversation on Zeta Sigbay. Kissy, kissy, what? But no, kissy, kissy. They don't even get into each other's personal space. But sort of they talk to each other about life, the universe, and everything, and Kirk says, I, I didn't know her before this, but she seemed like the kind of person who has trouble asking people for help, and Lon's like, and you're the kind of person that cannot help but help strangers, and then Jim talks about his dad working in Starfleet and how it is to be a kid, and wonder why his dad did so much stuff for strangers, maybe not enough for kids, but now he gets it as he's an older adult. Laon also gets it, and then they part ways, having built a little bit of a rapport avec each other, but Kirk reminds her, hey, you still owe me that drink. Oh, uh, yeah. Back on the refiner ray. I spelled refinery wrong. Una and Pelia are still not getting along. And Pelia's like, what's the deal? Why do you hate me so much? And Una's like, no reason. I don't hate you at all. And Pelia's like, that's malarkey. Of course you hate me. And Una's like, mm, it's because you're sloppy and you're loose with protocol and you don't follow orders. You're a space hippie. And Pelia's like, I've been called a lot of things. Space hippie is a new one. But I don't think that's it. I think it's something more. I think it's you hide behind protocols because you don't like anyone questioning your decisions. And then Una pulls rank. She's like, hey, why don't you just get your job done? And Pelia's like, okay, fine. I'll do it. She smiles. And she says she'll have the station online in a few hours. Meanwhile, Una and Kirk are in Una's room reviewing Ramon's files and listening to him talk about things that he's seeing. Uhura is worried that she is going to suffer Ramon's fate in maybe a day or so. Kirk suggests a break and to have some cookies and Aurora does not like this and he tries to make a joke about it and she's not happy about that but then she does open up about the shuttle accident with her parents and her sibling and also Hammer dying and how she has a fear of losing people and she can't face death and it's really scary for her and how can she be in Starfleet if she can't face death as she doesn't even look at photos of her family anymore because it reminds her of that pain and Kirk says hey remembering them is the only way to combat the deleterious effects that death has on the living he doesn't say that he says quote you can let death win, or you can fight back. Hold on to them. So, then he goes to get cookies. Uhura watches the video of Hammer again. Hammer mentions, hey, you gotta dial down the subspace antenna, or you can burn out the receiver. Oh, she has an idea. Eureka! So she goes running into the corridor. She runs into Kirk, who has the cookie. She's like, forget about the cookie. I think it could be something about a message. There's a species, and maybe they're burning out the thing. And he's like, what? A new species? And he's like, oh, crap. You want to go talk to Sam, don't you? And she's like, we got to. So, in a section entitled Xenoanthropology by me, they go to Sam's lab and they share their ideas. And Sam is like, well, I don't see any life forms in the nebula, but there is a sort of out there theory about extra dimensional being, extra dimensional beings being able to briefly like touch our time space and in a way to be able to reach out, maybe not with words, maybe not to communicate directly with speech, but maybe through memories and thoughts. And Uhura's like, yes, memory and thoughts. That's how the universal translator figures things out by looking at context. And, and then she's able to put all these hallucinations she's had into context. The wall's closing in. We're trapped. Uh, attacking herself because Starfleet is responsible. The ship being destroyed because they're trying to break free. Visions of the ones she loved dying because the same fate is befalling these uh, extra-dimensional beings, Starfleet is killing the aliens. So the Kirks theorize the aliens are bonded to the deuterium in the nebula and that by harvesting them, they're torturing the aliens. So they immediately all call Pike and they say, you gotta not turn on that refinery, Captain. But he's like, hey, uh, the refinery turned on um, five minutes ago. 
And they're like, what? So in the final section, I entitled Save the Day, Uhura and Kirk literally run to the bridge. On the refinery, Una and Pelia are unable to get the shutdown to work. Pelia thinks that maybe Ramon did more damage than they even thought. Uhura hears that sound. She has that vision again of the forest and the smoke thing. And she turns around, she's a shuttle. So we know this is her. She didn't see this, but this is a communication of the memory of her parents and brother dying in that shuttle. Uh, she, and then she's like, I got to push through this. And she arrives on the bridge. Having pushed through that, she sees a zombie hammer standing near the captain's chair. And she's like, you, you guys, she explains the whole thing to him and to Pike. And Pike's like, are you sure about this? And she's like, I'm certain we have to shut it down. But Pike's like, we can't shut it down, captain. So her is like, you got to do an emergency evacuation. So they invent all of the deuterium for the enterprise and the Farragut and then blow that station up. Otherwise, we're killing these creatures. So Pike sees Uhura is adamant, looks at Kirk. Kirk's like, she knows what she's talking about. They do it. They blow up the station. Uhura looks over at her hallucination. It's a healthy, happy hammer who smiles. Healthy, happy hammer. He smiles. And then he fades away. They did it. Oh, I just hit my microphone. They did it. And Pike says, I'll take the heat for this. Or put the heat on the, a brash first officer who, who was running around my ship. But he orders Uhura first to hail Admiral Nagawa on a private channel so he can explain this whole situation to him. And then orders her to get some sleep. Una and Pelia are on the shuttle back from the refinery. And Una says the reason that she's mad at Pelia is because she got a C in Starship Maintenance when Pelia was her instructor. And Pelia says that C was well-deserved and that's not why you're mad because Hammer died and I'm here replacing him and it drudges up sadness. And Pelia's like, I, I know what that's like as long as I've lived. I've experienced it too many times. But if you want it to be about the C, I will not contradict that. And they come to a silent agreement that they this is they understand and understand if you guys want to drift. Denouement. Kirk and Uhura are having a drink, and Uhura is showing Kirk photos of her family. What was that? Denouement? Denouement. The, uh, the denouement. And ending. Don't look at oh. me like I'm crazy. I'm looking at you like you're so intelligent, and I oh, yeah. am but a lowly person wow. who is not as educated as you. Your looks for are you out of your mind and gosh, you're so smart are very similar. That's <laughs> <laughs> so strange. Yeah, it's true. And I was speaking French. Okay. So, so we're, uh, there's a lively jazz band. We all think of Riker. Uhura is showing Kirk pictures of her family. They toast to powering through. Sam shows up. He's like, you know what? I've thought about everything. I think it's we can bear the hatchet. It's I'm so proud of you for becoming the youngest first officer in Starfleet history. Then they stare at each other for a very long time because Sam is expecting Kirk to apologize. And Kirk doesn't know what Sam wants him to apologize for. And this Sam finds this very upsetting. And so once again, storms off. And as Kirk is saying, and that's Sam, just Sam being Sam. And he can be a bit frustrating. Spock shows up and goes, yes, he could be very frustrating. And so Uhura introduces Kirk. And then they ask Spock to sit down with them and they have a lively conversation as that jazz band swings on out and the camera pans back and people are mingling on the ship and a little team comes together. And here endeth season two, episode six of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lost in Translation. Let's chat about that. I say, darling, let's do a quick chat about that. Yes, yes, let's do. Let's do. Let's do. Well, 
I don't know. This was in the end, it was a great episode, but also I realized as I was writing up this thing after today that it was that was the big the a big three meeting right there. A big that's a big moment. Big moment. Major bridge crew meetup there. So I thought that was very cute how they put all that together. Also with mm-hmm. Spock having a history of being frustrated at Sam Kirk because of remember in the last episode his dirty cups and crumbs on the table. So And perhaps does he doesn't really get frustrated with Kirk in TOS, does he? Sometimes. He doesn't really get frustrated. Well, Kirk is not as fastidious. He's clean. He's not like his brother, absent-minded. Obviously, the part of this episode is how Kirk is more ambitious about climbing up the ranks of Starfleet than his brother Sam, who maybe is like a forgetful kind of, what do you call it, uh, absent-minded professorial type. So yeah, I don't think Kirk and Spock ever have disagreements about like cleanliness or doing things together. I think Kirk, he bemuses, he's, he bemuses Spock? Is that the way you use that word? Can be. Is Spock is confused about Kirk a lot, but they <laughs> are the best of friends. <sighs> Wrath of Khan. So it was just nice to see them all come together in this moment. It was very sweet. It was. I thoroughly enjoyed. We have more Trek tropes. We have more throwbacks to TOS. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. I enjoyed this burgeoning possible romance uh, between Kirk and the offspring of his future nemesis between Laon and James D. Kirk. It'll be a confusing thing if they actually do get together and then he's fighting comedy. He never mentions Laon in TOS or the movies as a, anyway, it doesn't matter. Who cares? But I like their, their vibe. I think it could be a good moment. What are your thoughts? I'm just having a moment trying to figure out the timing of when Kirk and Khan meet. It's season two, maybe season one of, of TOS. So it's after Kirk is, obviously, he's running the Enterprise. There's no Laan Nunyan Singh as the chief security. But Laan knows who Khan... Yes, because she almost... Uh, well, she didn't kill him. That was this yeah. plot that she foiled. I think everyone knows who Khan is because, remember, he is the one who staged the whole, like genetics wars in the 21st century but then was banished to where to botany bay or whatever yeah so we know who khan is but we don't know that he's alive yeah okay so the eugenics wars have happened he's been banished so she doesn't know what's next for the khan okay she has no idea khan anyway maybe they'll get together maybe it'll be a sweet little get together there Lan needs somebody Everybody needs somebody. Sometimes everybody needs a laugh. Sometimes. What else happened in this episode that was cool? Oh, Pelia. Pelia got oh, yeah. some fun in there. Pelia, Pelia got some and fun her little tete a tete with number one. Yeah, she will not be intimidated by number one like every basically everyone else at Starfleet is. And also express some empathy. And I think Pelle also connected with her at the, in the early on in the episode. So it's beginning to uh, comfortably assume a role in, in on the Enterprise that is not merely antagonistic or, I'll use the word again, bemusing. The way they brought Hemmer back. And I remember when mm. Hemmer sadly died, they said this was not the last we would see of Hemmer. So this is clearly one viewing, one callback, one flashback, if you will, of Mr. Hemmer. I wonder how else they'll do it. Well, he fell to a frozen death off of a cliff during the Gorn attack. 
So maybe he's alive somewhere. I don't know. He's, he's also, is, is, wasn't his species telepathic? There's lots of options yeah. for ways to bring Hammer back. This is Star Trek we're talking about. The transporter accident, any number of things could happen. <laughs> but it was really nice to see. I almost called him Bruce Hammer. It was nice to see Hammer again. Hammering. Can't touch this. As I said, every time he was on screen last night. You did say that every time. I know. It's a real problem. But hey, usually there's not someone there to hear it. Yeah, it was a great episode. Well, that said. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in to Set Phasers. We know now immediately to the Easter Egg Desk with Stevie Man. Stevie, how are you today? Aki, it is a pleasure to be here bringing you the Easter eggs from Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Episode 6. Well, let's start off. We have the Deuterium Refinery. The action, as we know, takes place where the Starfleet is trying to set up near Gorn space and essentially set up a gas station. But so deuterium is part of an actual starship fuel system and is used to create the matter-antimatter reaction that powers the basics of the warp drive, not to be confused with Verterium. Anyway, mm. but what's fun about this is that Orctagus says activating the Bussard Collectors. We said Bussard. And notes that refueling is underway. Now, the Bussard Collectors are the red shiny things at the front of the, the warp nacelles. Mm-hmm. And the concept of this is actually real science. This is fun. Okay. I'm yeah. on the edge of my non-existent seat. So the real theory is called Bussard Ramjets, postulated by physicist Robert W. Bussard, or Bussard, we'll find that out. The idea is that a spaceship scoops up or collects hydrogen and transforms it into fusion, and the near Bussard collector has been around in Trek since TNG. Indeed. 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 We obviously had Hemmer's flashback. We loved that. So technically, Bruce Horak is guest starring as both Hemmer and the Nebula alien's telepathic projection of Hemmer. Mm-hmm. Zombie oh, Hammer. So two versions of Hammer. Can't touch this, can't touch this. Indeed. Fleet Captain. So Pike is referred to as Fleet Captain in this episode, and he is given command of the refinery and the Farragut, in addition to commanding the Enterprise. And Pike insists that it's only temporary, but fans know that Pike, as Fleet Captain, comes from the classic TOS episode, The Menagerie. And no one has a threesome in that episode. But Pike's rank of fleet captain was retained even after his injuries rendered him unable to command a starship. Will Strange New Worlds continue to refer to Pike as fleet captain forever? Possibly not. But it's a pretty big nod in the direction of the original series. Forever. Fun Fun fact. The Kirk brothers. Now, this is some fun canon. So obviously Sam and Jim reunite in this episode. And we've seen Paul Wesley and Dan Janot on screen together for the first time. And this is also the first time we've seen the Kirk brothers alive yes. in canon on screen together. Because Sam's only appearance in TOS was that of a dead body rocking a mustache played by Mr. William Shatner. Truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. So here Sam is complaining that Kirk is showing off because he's become the youngest Starfleet officer in history. Uh, the previous record, as we've mentioned, was held by George Kirk, first officer of the Kelvin, referencing the Kelvin from J.J. Abrams' Trek movie. But also notice that in this universe, the Kirk boys refer to their father in the present tense. That is because mm-hmm. George Samuel Kirk Sr. is alive in this alive! Alive. Sorry. 
while the Kelvin timeline was created specifically for the first J.J. Abrams movie, because we have to get clear on timelines. Um, the idea is that we what we see at the beginning of that reboot film is prime timeline in 2233, which was altered when the Kelvin was destroyed. And Kirk, James T., was born early in space instead of in Iowa. So mm-hmm. although Kelvin established the Kelvin verse or the Abrams verse, it also exists in regular canon too. In theory, somebody playing an older George Kirk Sr. could very well guest star on Strange New Worlds someday. That would be fun. Will, it would be fun. Will he have a mustache or a beard? Who knows? Who knows? Well, that was one of the things that was holding up the new Star Trek movie was whether or not Chris... Who the fuck is that one? Chris... Pie? The, the Hemsworth. Hemsworth. I knew it. I knew that. Yes. So the theory was Chris Hemsworth would come back and play George Sr. But because that was basically his first big break and Mm -hmm. he became huge in the Marvel verse and Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth were basically having arguments over who would get paid more. And that held it up. And then Chris Pine essentially pushed Hemsworth out of the discussions. Aha. Anyway. So, uh, but that's all that I have here. Aki, did you notice any more Easter eggs? Not I. I dislike eggs altogether. Let's move on to quotable moments. Quotable moments. <clears throat> quotable moments. Mm, pretty good. Pretty, Thank you. Pretty good. I only have a few here. I did like when uh, Jim comes onto the Enterprise and he says to Sam, hell of a ship, and they let you work here. And then Sam says, what can I say? Captain Pike asked for the more handsome Kirk brother. I like that. My other probably favorite quotable moment was Pelia and Una and uh, Pelia saying about the refinery. It's not as bad as it looks. It's way worse, which is a thing I want to say all the time. And also, yeah. Oh, I was going to say my Pelia quote was when Bruce, uh, not Bruce, I keep calling him Bruce Hemmer as if that's his name. It's Bruce Horak or Hemmer. This is a bit like your spike moment. If only it were one moment. One moment. My favorite moment was uh, he was a student of mine, or he was my best student. Actually, no, he wasn't. I was just saying that to be nice. What was the quote? I didn't write that down, did I? But she says, actually, I was only saying that because he's dead. He was just fine. Yes, he was just okay. He was just okay. He was just okay. Yeah, you have a pretty good Pelia. You nailed it right before she spoke this episode. Well, I think I was just doing general old lady number one but you had it it was you you actually i think you actually called the line you're like what are you doing in my engineering or whatever <laughs> what basically are you what doing in my engineering room yeah something to that effect <laughs> that, well, what are you doing in my engineering room that's that better oh uh, yeah because a Yiddish little bit granny? of like a who knows listen it's amusing me and finally una saying back to pelio and pelio is like oh it feels bad and the smell of this place is bad Luna says, I typically don't base my decisions off of feelings and smells. Like yeah, that. I enjoy very that. Good. Very good, yeah. very good. Very good. Shall very we move on to, to next time? Let's do that. Oh, nope. Whoa. <laughs> next time on Set Phasers. We have a new soundboard and things are different. That's fine. Run a full diagnostic on that soundboard. Next time we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 7 of Strange New World, which apparently is the crossover episode, according to Stevie. And it is entitled Those Old Scientists. So we'll see what that's all about. If you've enjoyed this program, first of all, thanks. Whether you enjoyed it or not. Thank you for listening. Now, if you didn't like it, get to stepping. If you did like it, we've got tons more episodes in our back catalog. You can get this 
show wherever you get your da- your downloads, wherever you download your podcast from. And uh, yeah, we cover all the new Trek. So if you like the new Trek stuff, we're talking about it. Yes, we are. And we will continue to talk about it. And when, in fact, there might be no Trek because of writer strikes, we will still be talking about Trek or some other science fiction thing because we think, dear listener, that's what you might like. Yes, we'll tie it back to Trek somehow. But yeah, we've got a little list going of things we might talk about during this strike if we're waiting for a new show. Well, I look forward to next week with hijinks with our Lower Decks friends. But until then, I am Stevie Manns. And I have been called more names than there are stars in the sky. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. End program. Computer. End computer. End program. Dear computer. Oh, computer. Okay, we're done. (laughs) Oh, computer.